Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Very exciting what the Lord's doing in their hearts. There are commitment cards down here if you're interested in supporting them, helping them go. You'll hear more about them as they you know, walk through this process together. But let's be in prayer for them and uh, support them any way possible. All right, let me pray for us and we're going to begin this morning. Father, we thank you for just an exciting morning. A lot of things going on here, Father, a lot of excitement. And we thank you for all you're doing. We praise your name. Lord, we ask you for the next little while as we open your scripture that you would give us just an understanding of exactly who you are of exactly how you want us to live, Father. Help us to be Christ-like in all things, to take the truth of your word, apply it to our lives, be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. We are continuing our study this morning in our sermon series that we have entitled From Ordinary to Extraordinary. It's a walk through the book of Acts. And I was, I was thinking this week uh, how incredible it is that the Lord has given us just this real detailed, clear account of the first century. You know, to find clear, detailed accounts of the first century are incredibly hard to come by in this world. They, they just don't exist oftentimes. But God has given us His Word. He's given us the book of Acts. It kind of details in in very clear chronological order the birth of the early church, the growth of the church, the power of the Spirit. And what we've seen now already in this book is that God is going to take just ordinary sinful people and through the power of the Spirit working in their lives, He's going to do extraordinary things through them. And and so the challenge that we've kind of given you already in this sermon series, the challenge we're going to continue to give you is that God is going to use you to do extraordinary things. What does he want to do in your life? How does he want to use you? What what does he want to uh, accomplish through you being faithful to him? And so we've kind of been walking through the last several weeks this kind of incident that occurred with Peter and John, and it's just to remind you kind of where we've been and kind of catch you up to speed. Uh, This has taken us several weeks to study, but in real time, the book of Acts, it took uh, a couple of days But we've kind of walked through it over several chapters and just to remind you kind of where we've been and kind of help you understand where we're going this morning. Peter Peter and John went to the temple, healed a man. Uh, He jumped up, went into the temple with them, praised the Lord. Peter and John began to preach in the temple and as they were preaching faithfully the name of Christ, the uh, religious leaders, the priests, uh, the kind of the temple police descended upon them, arrested them, uh, detained them overnight, brought them back the next morning, questioned them, threatened them. And there was this very interesting moment where Peter and John are before the Sanhedrin. And and just to remind you, this is the same group of people that several weeks before had arrested and crucified Jesus. So Peter and John are very aware of their power, of what they are capable of. And in a very kind of uh, uh, interesting, powerful moment in Scripture, these religious leaders basically say, listen guys, you've got to be quiet. You can't talk anymore. You need to silence yourselves, kind of go off and hide. We don't want to hear anything else from you. And Peter basically says, listen, you guys can do what you want to do, but as for me and John and our group, we're going to continue to praise and speak of the name of the Lord. Just incredible boldness. 
Incredible courage. And so these religious leaders aren't quite sure what to do. They release them. And now we pick up the story in Acts chapter 4 verse 23. Peter and John have just been released by the religious leaders. And we read now in Acts chapter 4 verse 23. We have it on the screen. These words. When they were released. So this is Peter and John. When they were released... They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Now I want to pause for a second before I get into 24 and just remind you of exactly what's going on in their hearts, right? These men have been questioned. They've been threatened. They are now keenly aware, and this is really important, they are keenly aware that persecution has started for them. The enemy is aware of what they're doing. The enemy is going to attack them. The enemy is going to do everything he can to defeat them. So they are aware of persecution. And so what I want to see now in these next few verses is how they're going to respond to the persecution. So let's let's fast forward now about 2,000 years. We're, We're dealing with all sorts of things in our lives. In fact, if I went around the room, I bet every person could tell me, yeah, I'm dealing with this crisis or this problem. I've got a a situation at work or at home or a a family member or there's something going on uh, elsewhere. We we all have issues and and problems and difficulties that we face. And and so here's kind of the point of what we're doing this morning. As we understand how Peter and John and the early church dealt with this crisis and with persecution, we ought to better understand in our lives how we should deal with crisis and difficulties and persecution. Because because what, what we ought to be doing every time we study God's Word is understand, first of all, the truth of God's Word, and secondly, figure out how that applies to us. So the way that Peter and John responded in a, in a crisis situation, in a difficult moment, should give us sort of a model and a template for how we respond in difficult moments in the crisis that we experience in our lives. So, so they've been released, they go to their friends, they're in this crisis mode, they, they, they've been a threatened, persecution has started, verse 24. And when they heard it, now these are the other believers, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said to the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So let's stop for a second. Let me give you the first truth, and we're going to back up and go through this text and try to understand it together. Right? We're trying to figure out how Peter and John and the early church responded to a crisis, to a difficult situation, so we can respond in the same way. Truth number one, when we face difficulties, first we must remember that God is in control. When we face difficulties, 
We need to remember that God is in control. So at, at the top of the list here, and we're going to see this in just a minute, in this text and in other places in Scripture, at the top of the list, the first thing we have to do is kind of have this mindset, uh, this understanding that no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're dealing with, well, regardless of the crisis you're facing right now, right, and we all have them, regardless of what's happening in your life, we need to kind of get to the point where we understand that God is still in control. Now that's very easy to say, sometimes very difficult to live like that, isn't it? Because we, we, we say we want to give it to God and then we, we take it back. <laughs> we give it to Him for a day or two in prayer and then when He doesn't do anything about it, we just take it right back and we try to fix it. I'll give it back to you in a couple of days, God. Let me work on it, okay? We need, we need to be mindful of the power of the Lord in our lives. Now, I want you to notice what these people did. Verse 23. Pull that back up if you would for me, please. This is a side note. It's not, it's not kind of the, the gist of what's happening here. It's not the main idea of this text, but I think it's important to note. When they're released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had done and said to them, right? They, they understood, and I just want to reemphasize this. We talked about it in, in Acts chapter 2. I just want to reemphasize the, the importance of, of Christian community. Right, when we're going through struggles, we should surround ourselves with friends and people that love us. You see, that's what they did. When they were released, uh, they didn't run off and hide. Uh, they didn't rant on Facebook of their problems. Some of y'all are like, oh, he saw it. Golly. I thought I deleted that. They weren't bitter. They didn't get angry. They, they Instead, they go to their friends, right, and they surround themselves with other believers. Again, again that's not the main gist of this text, but I, I think some of us need to hear, as we're going through struggles, allow other people to speak truth into our life. We should be surrounded by people, people that we love when, when we're going through these difficulties. So, so they go to their friends, and the first thing that happens there, they, they say in verse 24, is that they lifted their voices together to God. Now, in, in our words, we would say they prayed. Now, we're, we're going to talk about, in just a few minutes, the, the importance of prayer. But before we get into the importance of prayer, I, I want you to notice kind of what they prayed and, and what they specifically asked for. So, let's look at verse 24 again, right? They, they lifted their voices to God and they said, the first thing they say is, Sovereign Lord. Now, I want to stop there for a second. I, I just want you to understand what's happening here, and they're going to do this over the next several verses. This is kind of a classic model for us. In fact, if you were to talk about prayer and, and kind of how to pray, this is a real classic model. We see it in, in other uh, very important parts of Scripture. Uh, we see it taught on numerous different occasions. But what we see usually when it comes to prayer, and we, we start thinking about a model for prayer, the model for prayer usually begins by acknowledging the power and the sovereignty of God. That's the first thing in prayer. Now the problem for us, right, and I'll, maybe I'll speak for myself and not for you. The problem for me is that sometimes when I pray, I'm ready just to get right to the requests. Right, so I just dive right in, Lord, I need you to do this and help with this and heal this. And, and those things are great and important and we're not minimizing those things, but sometimes we get them out of order. Right, we, we want to tell God what we need and why we need it and how he needs to fix it. And, and again, those things are important. But notice the way the apostles will begin. Sovereign Lord. And so there's several things in here that draw our attention to the power and the sovereignty and the control of the Lord. Verse 24, they call him Sovereign Lord. That's very clear. Verse 25, they, they talk about David who is your servant. 
Verse 27, they say, truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus. Right? It's all about the Lord. It's in his hands. He's in control. Verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. It's all about God. It's all about his will. It's all about his power. He is in control over all things. And our prayers must begin with that in mind. Now I want to draw your attention just for a second. I'm I'm reminded of the teachings of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 6. You don't have to flip back there if you don't want to. But in Matthew 6, the the Sermon on the Mount is is basically Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Chapters 5, 6, and 7. He's teaching his disciples and his followers. And in Matthew chapter 6, he teaches about prayer. And you'll, you'll know it when we get to it, but I want to give you a couple of verses before Jesus says to his followers in Matthew chapter 6, beginning verse 7. And, and when you pray, right? Not if you pray, but when you pray, do not, heap upon, uh, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray like this. So here's the model from the mouth of Jesus. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's the idea of acknowledging the power of the Lord in our lives even as we struggle with difficulties. Let me just, let me just summarize it for you. Let me, let me make it real easy. He's God and you're not. <laughs> Sometimes we just need to be reminded of that, don't we? And just because he's not doing exactly what you think he ought to be doing when you think he ought to be doing it doesn't mean he's not in control because he absolutely is. He didn't wake up this morning confused or afraid or, or unable to work. He has created the universe. He completely knows what's going on. He is controlling all things. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's a creator of the universe. We need to begin our prayer like that because it puts us now in the right frame of mind to acknowledge his power over the things we're praying for. A.W. Pink, who's a, who's a famous Theologian said it like this. This petition necessarily comes first. For the glorifying of God's great name is the ultimate end of all things. All other requests must be subordinate to this one and be in pursuance of it. We cannot pray right unless the glory of God be dominant in our desires. And so we begin to just understand and we we begin to kind of filter this through our hearts and our minds. Whatever we're struggling with, whatever difficulties we face, remembering God is in control as we pray about our struggles and difficulties, pray with that mindset, being mindful of the power of Christ. Christ in our lives, right? That, that's, that's important to begin there. That puts us in the right frame of mind. Now let's continue. Verse 29 of Acts chapter 4. And now, they say, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs of wonder are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So number one, when we face difficulties... We need to trust the Lord. We need to remember He's in control. Number two, when we face difficulties, we should pray for boldness in Christ. When we face difficulties, we should pray for boldness in Christ. Pull up verse 29 again, if you would, for me, please, because look what it says in verse 29. And now, Lord, right, so so finally we kind of get to the request. 
They've spent several verses now praying about the sovereignty of the Lord, His power, His control over all creation, His control over, over uh, uh, John, I mean, over David and the, the people of the Old Testament, over all history. And, and now, right, so we come to the actual prayer. Now, now before we get to the actual prayer, I just want to kind of catch us up to speed and remind us of a couple of important biblical points as it relates to prayer. I'm going to give you a few verses and you guys are, are smart. I know you are. I know you can do this. I want you to see if you can come up with, with kind of a pattern in these verses I'm going to read. Right? What, what, what's going on? In the, what's the similarity between these verses? Colossians 4.2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray continually. Ephesians 6.18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people, right? We, we see in these verses and so many others like them, we are commanded to pray on a regular basis. Our foundation as a believer is found and our walk with Christ is found in our prayer life. Now, none of us would deny that, I don't think. I don't think anybody would say, well, I just don't think the Bible commands us to pray. What we would all say is, yeah, the Bible commands us to pray. I just don't pray enough. That's what we'd say. I know it's important. I study prayer. I talk about it. But I'm not actually praying enough. D.A. Carson, who's one of my favorite authors, said it like this. He says, we've learned to organize, to build institutions, to publish books, to insert ourselves into the media, develop evangelistic strategies, and administer discipleship programs. But we have forgotten how to pray. I think that's probably true. You know, God has done and continues to do some pretty incredible things at this church. I mean, 50 years of, of just incredible work and his hand being upon our church and, and growth and, and our missions movement of late and the people we've sent out and the people that are going to continue to go. And we, we praise his name for everything that he's done. We believe he's going to continue to work. But I think, and I'm going to kind of make a prediction... I think that the, the level to which this church will rise over the next decade will be in direct proportion to the private prayer life of our people. We're, we're not going to rise to a certain level if none of us are praying. It just won't. We're not going to rise to a level of four or five of us are praying. We just won't. Right, the, the scripture is clear. As believers, we need to spend time praying, seeking the Lord, trusting Him. And, and so we just ask ourselves a, kind of a simple question as, as a believer. How often am I praying? Am I earnest in my prayers? Am I serious about my prayer life? Am I as, am I as serious about my prayer life as I am about college football? Because most of us aren't missing a college football game. Right, I can say this because I'm talking to myself, and I know I'm talking to myself. But we will reorder our lives to watch college football, won't we? And there's nothing wrong with, I'm not preaching against college football, it's good. But we can't find time to pray, can we? There's something wrong there. And, and we just can't expect the Lord to work, and we shouldn't be shocked when He doesn't, when we're not actually praying about things. We can't expect the Lord to do miraculous things in the lives of His people when we're not praying. You know, you know far too many churches, and, and, and we're not going to talk about statistics, but far too many churches are just not doing well. They're plateauing, declining, closing their doors. 
It, it seems as if Christianity, at least in the Western world, Europe, by the way, is about 20 years beyond us. They're a post-Christian society. So we think about all that the Lord has done and is going to continue to do and the, and the problems that we face in our country today and in Christianity today. And I would argue that part of the problem we're facing is we're not praying enough. We're talking about it and we're discussing it and we're preaching about it, but we're just not praying enough. And so we just need to really be challenged from, from a foundational level. When we're struggling and walking through difficulties and, and trying to seek the Lord, we ought to spend great amounts of time in prayer, trusting Him. That, that's what this is all about right here, by the way. Kind of, kind of starting the next 50 years with, a, with a, a rededication to prayer, a rededication to seeking the Lord. And so I, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad, but this thing ought to be filled up. Like, don't please, don't make me have to come in here and beg you to fill this thing up. I shouldn't have to stand here and say, man, we've got three people signed up, but we need 75 more. Who's going to do it? And just take it upon yourself. I'll do this. I'll sign up for this. This thing ought to be filled up today. We ought, we ought to take seriously the prayer. Now, we need to keep going. This is, this is good, but I've got to keep going. Because y'all want to y'all beat the Methodists to the buffet, I know. So we've got to hurry up and get through this thing. <laughs> So I want you to notice what they actually pray. So bring 29 up. I love the Methodists, by the way. They're great people. <laughs> bring verse 29 up. And now, listen to, what, listen to what they actually pray here, right? So I'm putting myself in Peter and John's shoes and these disciples, what they've been through, what they know they're going through. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant, right? Here's what we're asking for. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Right? They didn't pray that God would remove the temptation or the problem or, or the issues or the crisis or the persecution or that he would destroy the people that are evil. They didn't pray any of those things. They simply prayed, Lord, in the midst of all this problem that we're dealing with, all these problems, we know you're in control. Give us the ability, verse 29, to speak your word with boldness. Translation for us, even as we go through difficult times, we need to pray the Lord would give us the ability to be Christ-like in the way we respond in all situations. That's not easy. I, I just love how they don't pray that the Lord would do away with the problem. They pray that they'd be strengthened in the middle of it. You know, every time we go through a difficult situation, <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm thinking about difficult situations in my life, and do I respond like this? Every time we go through a difficult situation, right, we ought to ask the Lord, what are you doing in my life? Or what are you trying to show me through this? What are you trying to demonstrate to me here, Lord? How do you want me to grow in my faith? Right? This is a struggle. It's hard for me. There's this issue I'm dealing with, and we all have them. But what are you teaching me through this, Lord? This is, this is, this is where we ought to look at this. This is an opportunity now for me to grow in my faith. It's an opportunity for me to trust the Lord more. It's an opportunity to be changed and transformed more into the image of Christ through this difficult time. Lord, don't necessarily do away with the persecution. Don't do away with the problems. Those are always going to be there. But instead, strengthen me, Lord. Give me the boldness I need to respond, to speak your word, to be Christ-like in every situation. So then the next time that I encounter a difficulty or a crisis or am persecuted, I can have the boldness that I need to speak with truth about your word. What are we doing in those difficult moments to grow in Christ? How are we recognizing those difficult moments as opportunities to strengthen our faith? Now we need to finish. Look at verse 31. We've got to finish this chapter. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, right? So there's an earthquake. 
They're all filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, and you can think about Acts 1.8 right here. Again, this is Acts 1.8 being lived out. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. Then Joseph, or thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So we see in difficulties, right? We should trust the Lord. He's still in control. We should pray for boldness that we would speak with Christ's likeness and all the circumstances we have. And then number three, when we face difficulties, we must remember the needs of others. When we face difficulties, we need to remember the needs of others. Here's the problem when we face difficulties far too often. We kind of close down, we kind of become introverted, we kind of circle the wagons, and we forget that there are other people out there struggling just like we are. We forget that there are other people in need. Right? Well, one, one of the worst things a, a church can do is to become inward focused. And realize, you know, we've got problems and issues. Let's deal with what's going on in here and kind of shut the world out, so to speak. That's not who Christ called us to be. That's not who, how these disciples lived. It's not how we should live today. We need to be reminded of the needs of others and give or serve or do whatever is necessary to help those people understand that we love them, even in the midst of our own struggle, even in the midst of our own crisis. I'm reminded this is the week that we've really emphasized the missions at Rosemont. Again, it's been a fantastic week. A lot of neat things have happened. God is working in the hearts of our people. But I'm reminded this morning of Lottie Moon. We're probably familiar with Lottie Moon because of the offering that we do at Christmas. But you may not know the story of Lottie Moon. Lottie Moon was a, was a missionary that went to China in the late 1800s. Uh, she was a, 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 a single woman who was a teacher, I think in her late 30s or early 40s. And for a woman in her 40s that was single in the late 1800s, to move to China alone uh, was crazy. That just didn't happen. Secondly, to go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ was unheard of. So she was just this incredible pioneer, converted hundreds and, and probably even thousands of people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But she would write letters home to the foreign mission board then. It's the international mission board now, but then they called it the foreign mission board. And she would say, listen, we need more money. We need more supplies, we need more resources, would you, would you please send us money? And so they started taking up offerings in church, and by the early 1900s they had renamed it the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering, and it averages now uh, 20 to $25 million annually given towards Lottie Moon. That's a great story. She's an incredible woman, accomplished incredible things for the gospel, but I want you to listen to how her life ended. Moon increasingly retreated into the inner chamber of her heart, relying on the Word of God as revealed to her in Scripture. Immersed in the culture, she came to feel as one with the Chinese. And during a resurgence of famine in 1911, she gave all of her food and money to the famine relief. By the time her assistants discovered that she had been starving herself to feed the Chinese, she weighed a mere 50 pounds. 
They put her on a boat to go back to America, and Lottie Moon died at the age of 72, December the 24th, 1912, in the harbor of Kobe, Japan, while en route to America. I mean, she gave it all. She gave her very life for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the people around us, and she's just one example. There are people that all through the years have given of themselves to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've given their money, they've given their time, they've given their effort, they've given their very lives. And so we kind of come to this place in Scripture where where we're faced with the difficulties and, and the challenges and the struggles of life and the persecution that are facing these believers. And, and we see these same sorts of struggles and, and, and difficulties and persecutions in, in our life today. And we ask ourselves the question, how are we going to respond? What are we going to do for the sake of the kingdom? Are we going to stand up and say, Lord, I'll do whatever you've called me to do. I'll give, I'll serve, I'll pray, I'll put you first. I'm willing to sacrifice for the sake of Christ. Or do we kind of shut down, circle the wagons, close up, never come outside of our shell? Jesus Christ has got big plans for us, folks. He wants to take ordinary people and do extraordinary things through them. We've already seen it for the first 50 years. I think we're going to see it for another 50 and beyond. We've got to trust him. We've got to grow in our walk. We've got to pray for boldness. We've got to ask him to continue to intervene. We've got to trust him. We've got to be willing to reach the world for Christ regardless of what it costs. If we'll do those things, if we'll be faithful, I promise you he'll use us in ways we could never imagine for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the way in which these early believers responded to you and responded in a moment of crisis and persecution. We thank you for their faithfulness. We, we thank you for what we can learn from them, Father. I pray that in all things we would just see your power and your glory, your control. I pray we'd look to you for guidance. We'd trust you in prayer. We'd be bold in the way we respond and the way we share the gospel. We'd be willing to, to, to notice need and to help those around us, Father, to love people in the name of Jesus. And I pray as we're faithful, Father, through the power of the Spirit working in our lives, you do extraordinary things for us. Extraordinary things in our lives and in, in this church, in this community, in this world. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for everything that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. The altar is open. Come and pray. Respond as we sing together this morning. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.com. God bless.